All right, good morning. Let's be uh, finding our seats again. Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power in your word to transform us. These are not the words of men. These are the words of God who is in heaven, who created the heaven and the earth. You created every single one of us. So Holy Spirit, anoint our time together. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Our series is on church on the move in keeping with our fall theme. We've been excited uh, to work through this very, very exciting, adventurous, powerful book. And we've now landed in chapter 6. And we're going to be reading about an amazing city called Jericho and how God's miraculous power caused the walls to collapse so that the people of God could go into the city and plunder it and secure a victory over one of the strongest Canaanite outposts in the land. So just as a review, the people have crossed over from the River Jordan. The men of war now are recovering from their circumcision, and they're going to take on now the first Canaanite stronghold in the land. Jericho represents actually the strongest stronghold in the Promised Land. It's also considered by historians to be the oldest city, if not one of the oldest cities in the world. And this was a, a fierce city. The walls were extremely high, 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. And Joshua was led to go against this city because it was so strategic. If you look on a map, uh, I haven't put it on our PowerPoint, but if you look on a map, it's right in the central part of the country. It was sort of the doorway to the south and to the north, and there were major roads uh, leading to the major cities in the area. So taking this city was really, really important in terms of coming into the promised land. It was a very, very strategic place. But, you know, as we apply the story personally, it's also a story of how we can get stuck or stymied in our efforts to get into our promised land. We want to enjoy God's fullness, but there are things in our lives that prevent us from doing so. We have anxieties and fears, unforgiveness, relationship difficulties, family issues, physical problems, addictions, idolatry, sin, things that keep us from enjoying God's peace and freedom, which represents his promised land. The land of milk and honey sounds great, but we can't get past the strongholds in our lives, and they are just that. They are things that have a strong, not weak, not a mild, but a stronghold on our emotions, our thoughts, our behavior, our potential, our personality, our attitudes, our ability to perform, our capacity to win at life and to enjoy life. When we look at how high the walls are and how thick they are and how long they've been there, it looks pretty tough to beat. Now, fortresses are areas in our life in which the enemy has taken ground. There's literal acreage in our soul, which the enemy has marked out and said, I have dominion in this area. This is my territory. He's put up walls and protects it from any kind of invasion. He camps there. When we look at the fortress situations in our life, we can lose hope. We can lose heart. We can say, I'll never break through into my promised land. And in our natural selves and strength, it's true. We can't overcome. But that's not how the story goes, as we're going to see, because we have a liberator. We have one who comes to set us free. Jericho has no chance, and God is our hope. So from the story that's given here, I want to pull out some key aspects of who God is. And this is one of the things that I think is so important for us as Christians in this hour is to root ourselves as deeply, as thoroughly as you can in the character of God. 
This is the number one principle of hermeneutics. Always start with the character of God. And so this is what we're going to see here in this chapter. We're going to see some dynamic, wonderful aspects of who God is so that you can experience the walls of your Jericho tumbling down. Amen? So the first point here I want to bring out is that God is a strategist and he has a customized plan for your situation. God is a planner. Did you know that? He doesn't do things haphazardly. He doesn't do things off the cuff. Yes, he's spontaneous. We know about the Holy Spirit moving and being spontaneous, but he's not frivolous. We, when we're spontaneous, we get frivolous. When God gets spontaneous, it's not frivolous. He is a general and knows exactly how to navigate the battlefield. And can you imagine Joshua's conversation with God during his quiet time? The nation is, is waiting for his orders. And the whole nation is amped up. And Joshua's amped up. They've just crossed the Jordan. And they've consecrated themselves as God's people. And now their first battle looms. And so Joshua's having his quiet time with the Lord. And God is sketching out what they're going to do. But the words that he hears are not what he expected. They're not going to lay siege to Jericho. They're not going to mount thousands of men of war. They're going to do something completely new and fresh. This is not a plan that's been used before, and it's not a plan that will be ever used again. It's completely customized and unique. And so it is with your Jericho. God will speak to you exactly how to bring the walls down. It won't be a cookie-cutter plan. He will take into consideration all the particulars of your situation, and it will be a perfect plan. And so as we read now in the first opening verses of Joshua 6, we can see that there are three components to God's personal plan. Actually, four components to God's personal plan for you. Number one, part A, verse 1, it says, I've given Jericho, God is speaking to Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. So the first component is there's a promise. This is the secret manna that we all need. This is the nourishment that our heart needs when things look bleak. This is the home base that we return to in order to battle discouragement. God gives us a promise that we can stand on. Make sure that you keep a journal. Now as the troops were, and as the people were circling the city on the third and the fourth and the fifth day, Joshua may have said to himself, I hope this circling stuff really works. I'm putting my reputation on the line. He may have had some doubts and fears, but he would always return to what God spoke to him in private. I have given Jericho into your hand. That would comfort and calm his heart. But getting a promise from God means that we must be positioned to hear from him. We have to be in the word on a daily basis. We have to settle our hearts often so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to speak. We need to be consistent and faithful in our communion with God and not see God as a drive-through advisor. I think too often we think of God as a consumer God. Bop in, bop out, get our thing, bing, bang, and it's done. That's not how God works. He can't wait to speak to you, but you must be in a place to hear. Second component about God's plan is that there is a process. Verse 3 and 4 says this, have all the soldiers circle the city, marching once around it. Do this for six days. With the seven priests carrying ram's horn ahead of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times and have the priests blow the horns. Many times we wish that God could just snap his fingers and make everything perfect. 
right? Have you ever just felt that? It's like, just do it, Lord. Why are you taking so long? We want him to be a magician or we want a silver bullet to just solve everything. But God's method is to engage us in a process so that we can own the victory, build our spiritual muscles, and learn to grow in faith. Now, the numbers six and seven are really important in this process. Biblically, six is the number of man and seven is the number of God. So marching around the city six times speaks of our responsibility. And seven speaks of God's perfect solution. When God tells you what your circle the enemy plan is, make sure you do everything he says, no matter how simple or insignificant it may seem. You mean read my Bible every day? I, my pastor says that all the time. Why do I have to do what he says? Commit to the process. Don't despise the patience that's required. Be faithful because obedience always bears fruit. And trusting in God always works. In this case with Joshua, God told him to have the priests blow the trumpets. Like the crossing of the Jordan, we see how crucial our priestly duties are in God's victory in our life. What is the role of the priest? The role of the priest is to be before God. Part of bringing down our strongholds always involves prayer. Are we praying daily? Now, typically, this is a weak spot for us. We aren't praying enough or we've fallen into prayerlessness. It becomes an afterthought and not our first thought. But our priestly duty is to make it our first priority. That's our priestly responsibility. God told the priests to blow the trumpet daily. Now, there's a significance to these trumpets because they were made of ram's horn. If you recall back in Genesis 22, again, in your literacy reading, there was that episode where God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Go up on the mount and sacrifice your only son. And so without flinching, Abraham takes his son, goes to Mount Moriah. And by the way, Mount Moriah is exactly where Jerusalem is. It's where Jesus was crucified. It's incredible. So Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah, and he's about to sacrifice his son when all of a sudden there's a noise in the thicket. And Abraham looks, and there's a ram that's caught in the thicket. And God speaks to him and says, this is my provision. So Abraham unbinds his son, and instead he sacrifices the ram. Now that ram was symbolic of Jesus. Abraham was foretelling what was to come in the new covenant. That there would be a sacrifice of a son, but it wouldn't be Isaac, it would be Jesus. And that ram was symbolic of the Son of God. And so when we blow the trumpet of prayer, we are praying in Jesus' name. The very horn that we blow is in Jesus' name. Like we sang today, there is no name above the name of Jesus. There is something about the name of Jesus that sends shockwaves in the heavenlies. There's no other name that sends shockwaves except the name of Jesus. When we blow that trumpet, we're doing something that's sacred and holy. And God made a way for us to come to the throne of grace, as was mentioned in the call-out time. Throne. Think about a throne. We have TV series, Games of Thrones, and all these things. That's an unrighteous throne. That's a dark throne. But we're talking about a throne of holiness and righteousness, and in this case, a throne of grace. That speaks of authority and power. So when you blow the trumpet of prayer made from the horn of a ram, we're appealing for heaven to work on earth. 
in this case, to destroy the Jericho strongholds holding you back. Our prayers are trumpet blasts to the heavenly places that things are about to change. And God is waiting to hear your prayers every single day. Don't grow weary. He loves to answer your prayers. Third component that we see here, verse 5, is that there comes an orchestrated prophetic moment when God moves miraculously. Verse 5 says, When they gave a long blast on the ram's horn, and you hear the sound of the horn, all the people shouted aloud, The wall of the city will collapse, and the people shall attack straight ahead. Archaeologists to this day are still trying to verify how the walls fell down. If you go to Israel, they know exactly where Jericho is, and they have now ruins that they're digging up in which there's this calamitous fall of the city, and they're trying to figure out how this happened. And we're talking about a miracle where physics was defied. And this is God's specialty. He is a prophetic God. He's a supernatural God. He moves mountains. He stills the storms. He causes the dead to rise. He even causes fig trees to wilt. And he can make the walls of your Jericho to come down. He loves to move in spectacular ways on our behalf. You know, when we started this church in 2003, can't believe it's already been 16 years. We had no idea how difficult it would be to find a physical building, a permanent spot. I naively thought, naively thought that Vancouver was like the United States. Pay the rent, you can hang out your shingle. But in Vancouver, just because you can pay the rent doesn't mean you can have a church service. The building has to be a zone for assembly. And the inventory of buildings in the city where churches can have services was extremely low and is extremely low. Because historically, church buildings are off the city tax rolls. The city collects no revenue off of them, so they're very particular about granting assembly designations. So it becomes a huge lid on church planting. Churches are on top of each other, using existing spaces and schools and churches, and they can't break out into new spaces. But as a church, we stuck to it. We prayed faithfully, believed, and researched potential spots for six years. And during this time, God circled New West on the map for us. This is where we're to be. Not Burnaby, not Coquitlam, not Surrey, not Vancouver, New West. And while we waited patiently, in some cases impatiently, God was secretly working behind the scenes. In year two of our search, we called up one of the mid-level managers in the city here of New West. We told her of our desire to find a place and she was sympathetic, but she was unable to help us locate anything. So we just kept in touch with her over the years. Fast forward to year seven, which is 2010. This mid-level manager now had been promoted to, the, promoted to the top job in the city. She had become the big kahuna. And when this space opened up, we didn't have to go to lower-level administrators. We went right to the top because we had built this relationship. During our time of circling, God had moved the right person into the position of authority to grant us our approval. It was a miracle, a great prophetic moment for us here at the church. And we became the first church in nearly 30 years to be in this downtown location. God was on the move. He had his prophetic timing. But we had to do our circling exercises. We had to wait. We had to be patient. And then the time came. 
Think about if the Israelites shouted together on day two. Mm, don't do that. What if they shouted like, roar, day five? Nothing happens. It's embarrassing. Don't do that. Don't be in the flesh. Wait on the timing. Wait on the right moment, and God will move miraculously. What if Moses raised his arms over the Red Sea when no one was there? <laughs> no one could see the amazing miracle. What if Jesus multiplied the bread when there was just three or four people in the fields? No one could see the miracle. There is a prophetic timing, and this is part of God's plan, not just for these stories to be in the Bible, but that he does it in your life as well. There's a fourth point to this plan that God gives us. There's a clear end point, an end game. When the walls fell down, God commanded the Israelites to rush on the city, and then we read this in verse 21. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. So just let that soak in for a moment. We're talking complete elimination. Nothing was spared. Okay, yeah, the men of war, we understand. Those guys need to be killed. But the women, the seniors, the kids, and all the animals, the ox and the sheep and the donkeys, everything was eliminated. Now, for us as Canadians, this may jar our sensibilities because we're gentle types, right? We're peaceful types. We don't like this kind of stuff. If we're cynical or sarcastic or in a comical mood, we say, that happens in the United States. That doesn't happen here. We're not used to such a total decimation. But this is where the Bible educates us on how to properly think about God. God sees and feels about sin and evil differently than we do. God hates evil completely and comprehensively. The key word here is comprehensively. No one sees the totality of sin's effect like God does. We only see in part, and therefore we default to human mercy, which is to apply a soft and squishy kind of justice that doesn't root out sin, it just manages it. Oh, they're there. We know you're hurting. We know this is difficult. God's solution was not to offer terms of peace to Jericho. It was to destroy it completely. That is God's end goal for our Jerichos. Promised land living doesn't work when we coddle our sin in our strongholds. We must deal with it decisively. The Canaanites were great sinners. They were brutal and with no conscience. Historians tell us the Canaanites conceived the most depraved religion known to man, which included religious prostitution and child sacrifice. So not a single vestige of evil was to remain. Now when doctors look to eradicate cancer, they don't say, you know what, we took care of 80% of it, that should be good. If a doctor said that to you, that would be malpractice, that would be irresponsible. That would be terrible. Why? Because the cancer will just come back and be lethal once again. Now, it might be painful to go the extra 20%, but you want your doctor to go all the way and to be aggressive. Is that not right? Do you want 20% of the cancer left in your body? Get it all, doc. And that's God's mind as it regards sin. 
needs to be dealt with completely. That's the conviction that brings healing in victory. If God said, you know what, just 70% victory, that'll be good enough. No, 100% victory. That conviction inside of God is, was at the foundation of this whole plan and the plan for you and me. So these four subpoints flesh out how God helps us to take down Jericho. As we read on, I want to draw a couple of other things about God's character in this matter of coming into our freedom. Verse 12 and 13, we see that God is not afraid to get involved in the details of our life. Joshua got up early in the morning and the priest took up the widow, uh, took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So right in the, right in the middle of this takedown, was the ark. God was not off to the side. He wasn't back in the camp. He wasn't sitting under some cushy tent. He was right there in the thick of things. He was leading the campaign. He was not afraid to get involved in the messiness of our Jericho. He's a God that truly cares. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. And not only does he care, he brings the full weight of his government to bear upon your Jericho. And that's the significance of the ark. That means his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his sovereignty is on your side. It's powerful stuff. You know, we've had Kevin and Julia that were incarcerated in China for two years, and we're pleading to the Canadian government, get them out. And at times, it seemed like there was movement, but one step forward, two steps back. At times, it seemed very weak. But we've got a government that's strong. We don't have to worry about inaction. We've got a government that's strong. Jay Packard, the theologian, great theologian, said this, God is present in all places. Because God is omnipresent, he is able to give his entire attention to millions of individuals at the same time. That's such a cool statement. In other words, God is never distracted with something else when he's talking to you. Oh, wait a minute. Someone's on line 444. Oh, just I'll get back to you in a second. My secretary's buzzing me. And no, because he's omnipresent, omniscient, he can talk to millions and billions of people at the exact same time, and he is never distracted. No smartphones, no smartwatches, no phone calls will interrupt him. He is totally focused and immersed in your situation. I think this is one of the reasons why women are so drawn to God. I'm not trying to be sexist here. They have God's full attention, unlike their husbands. <laughs> women just like, they can talk and talk. Men can talk and talk too, but I'm just, okay. They can talk and talk, and God is listening. He is the best listener in the world. How many times have our wives said to us, don't fix me, just listen to me. God is an amazing listener. He's ready to go to war with you. Because of his ability to listen, he has the gift of making you feel special. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's a rhetorical statement meant to lift our faith. 
If God of the universe is on your side, who can ever be against you? That's why Jericho has no chance. No matter how bad your Jericho situation is, God's sovereignty will work all things together for the good for those who love him. This summer we had our beautiful series from Nehemiah. We heard amazing, gut-wrenching, raw testimonies of how God lifted people out of the miry pit. God worked everything together for good, and every story was different. God is so creative, and we get to rest in the fact that the ark is with us, that his government is following us, front guard, rear guard. That's called comfort and safety. Ultimately, that's called redemption. Then we see in verse 20 here another thing about God. God places premium on family. So the people shouted. Not the sergeants, not the majors, not the commanders or generals. The people shouted. And priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. So we note a key part of the victory here. The shout had to come from everyone. For a church to be on the move, for a nation to be on the go, everyone has to be in the game. What if quarter of the people shouted? What if half the people shouted? I think only half or a quarter of the wall would have fallen down. We need everyone to complete their entire mission. That's God's pattern. Last week, we talked about we're going to introduce a survey that will help us to collate and to summarize corporately the prophetic words that have been spoken over each of our members. We're going to prophetically map what God is doing, what God has been saying. This is a way for us to be a church on the move. Part of how the walls come down in your life is through community. If you think you can conquer Jericho by yourself, you are wrong. I don't want to even issue the challenge. Go try it yourself. Don't be a lone ranger because if you shout by yourself, a little stone will drop off the wall and that's it. Bloop. It'll be pitiful and comical. Instead, get the full victory by involving your spiritual family. This is what cell groups are for. Having your family circle Jericho with you. I want to say one thing about the use of our voices. The book of Genesis, the first exercise of God's authority when was he said the issue of his voice. Now, how does God bring heaven on earth? He uses our voice. He prompts us to pray. He prompts us to sing. That's a prophetic action. When the Spirit of God moves upon us, something comes out of our mouth that represents heaven. And what does the enemy want to do? He wants to muzzle our mouth. He wants us to keep quiet. Don't say anything. Why did God pour out the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and tongues of fire came on everyone? Because the speaking is the vehicle of God's authority. And so he's equipping the church to speak. He's equipping the church to vocalize and to verbalize. That's why I say Thursday night on our prayer meetings, if God is speaking to your heart, please pray it out. Don't say, oh, I'm not good at praying. Pastor Rich is listening to me. What is he going to think? It's not good enough. 
That has nothing to do with it. You need to pray it out because God is moving on you. The Holy Spirit is speaking through you. When we sing on Sunday morning, it is a prophetic act. Don't come in here just dribbling your words out to God. Put a little enthusiasm to it. Stir yourself up. Because when the Holy Spirit is beckoning you to speak on his behalf, watch out because walls come tumbling down. It also speaks to the confession of our mouth. I'm not talking about confessing it and claiming it. But I'm saying, listen, when God has spoken something to you, you are moving by a reality that he has given to you, and that's what you need to speak. People will try to frame your reality. But when the Spirit has said something to you, if people said to Joshua, are you sure you heard from God? I don't think we should do this. We've been doing this now for five or six days. It doesn't look like the Amorites inside, the Jerichoites inside of Jericho are getting very scared. And so everyone is trying to speak something different to us, but when God has spoken to us, we need the confession to be a mirror of what God has spoken. Listen, guys, I know you're all great men of war, but God has spoken. We're going to circle this city, and the walls are going to come down. He verbalized it, he spoke it, and then it came to pass. Every single one of us needs to verbalize and vocalize and sing praises to God and intercede and pray because God is using you to bring forth his will. Now the last part of this chapter, last three verses, we get a bonus outcome. When God brings down the walls in our lives, other people get touched. When we rely on God and he is able to take out the strongholds, something really cool happens. Your salvation results in other people getting saved. Your deliverance will result in other people getting deliverance. God's blessing starts ricocheting, starts acting like a pinball machine. Bing, 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 and it just starts touching everything, and it multiplies. There's a domino effect. Now, this actually is a message in and of itself. We don't have time to go into it, except to say that there was a prostitute that was in the city of Jericho, She was the one that had entertained the two spies before they crossed the Jordan. She knew that God was moving and he was on the side of the Israelites. So she said to the two spies, when you come to take our city, will you spare us and will you protect us? And they said, yes, you will if you keep the red thread outside your window. So when the walls fell down, they felt the shaking of their whole city. Rahab must have thought it's happening. She had gathered her mom, her dad, her brothers, all her relatives into her little upper space. And after all the rubble was down on the ground, Joshua said, bring her out. We're going to keep her. She's safe. And so our salvation, our blessing, blesses other people. And that's a, a powerful, exciting bonus outcome. There are so many Rahabs in our city those who feel outcast, those who feel ashamed, those who feel like they cannot come into the presence of God, and yet God is engaging them in such a unique and powerful way. And you know what? Of all the people that look righteous in the city, I'm going to save you. Our God is a God of hope. That's what the walls coming down is all about. Jericho is not too strong. Say to yourself today, Jericho is not too strong. 
Jericho has no chance. They're not too entrenched no matter how ancient the strongholds have been there. God will bring down the city and allow you to proceed into the promised land. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that you're the God that goes before us. You're the God that has a customized plan for us. You give us a promise. You give us a process. You promise and you orchestrate a prophetic moment. You give us a clear picture of what the end game is. We thank you, Father God, that you're not afraid to immerse yourself in the messiness and the detail of our life because you care so deeply. And God, you involve the entire spiritual community and spiritual family. And God, this is all part of us coming into the promised land. It's all part of us being a church on the move. This morning, as I've been sharing, if, if God's been speaking to you about your Jericho, about your stronghold, just think on the truths that is given to us from this chapter. Apply it personally for yourself. Say, yes, my God will conquer and my God will break through for me. I pray, God, for a grace, a power, anointing, and wisdom, God, so that the liberation comes and the freedom comes. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.